good morning again. We have two scriptures this morning. The first comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verses 19 through 22. And this is from on the night that he was betrayed. It says, Jesus knew that they wanted to... Uh, knew that they wanted to ask him. You're discussing with each other what I meant, aren't you? He said. You want to know what I meant by saying, not long from now you won't see me. And then again, not long after that you will see me. That's it, isn't it? Well, I'm going to tell you the solemn truth. You will weep and wail, but the world will celebrate. You will be overcome with sorrow, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she is in anguish because her moment has come. But when her child is born, she no longer remembers her suffering because of the joy that a human life, a human being, has been born into the world. In the same way, you have sorrow now, but I shall see you again, and your hearts will celebrate, and nobody will take your joy away from you. In John chapter 20, Verses 1 through 18. On the first day of the week, very early, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. So she ran off and went to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. They've taken the master out of the tomb, she said. We don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciples set off and went to the tomb. Both of them ran together. The other disciple ran faster than Peter and got to the tomb first. He stooped down and saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came up following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the napkin that had been around his head, not lying with the other cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had arrived first at the tomb, went into the tomb as well. He saw and he believed. They did not yet know, you see, that the Bible had said he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she stooped down to look into the tomb. There she saw two angels, clothed in white, one at the head and one at the feet of where Jesus' body had been lying. Woman, they said to her, why are you crying? They've taken away my master, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. As she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. She didn't know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? She guessed it must be the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've carried him off somewhere, tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. Mary, said Jesus. She turned and spoke in Aramaic, Rabboni, which she said, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, said Jesus. I haven't yet gone up to the father But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm going up to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and told the disciples, I've seen the master, and that he had said these things to her. This is the good news of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
What is the good news of the resurrection? Seems like kind of a elementary enough question. Most people say, well, Jesus is alive, and that's true. This is the good news of the resurrection. It means that Jesus is alive, he lives forever, and yes, it's good news that because he lives, we all will live forever with him. But what does it mean? And what I mean is, what does the good news of the resurrection, in terms of, what does it mean in terms of, well, everything? If the good news ends with you and me in the next life, then we really only have good news about some future moment, something some time from now, whether we live for years from now or whether today is our last day. But when you look at all of Jesus' teaching, it seemed very clear that his good news, though it does have that future element of a life to come when as Revelation tells us, that there will be no more death, no more crying, that all those things will have passed away. The good news of the resurrection also has an immediate and all-encompassing meaning as well. If you'll bear with me for a moment, and those of you who've been, and, and most of you have been at the Monday, Thursday, and the Good Friday services, if you'll go with me back to the crucifixion just for a moment. I want to go back to what all this was with Jesus being the one who is to come to crush the serpent's head. If you were at the Good Friday service, you might remember that I had said that when humanity fell... The serpent basically put his seed in humanity and all humanity, although we were also sons and daughters of God because we were made in his image, we also became children of the serpent because we had that seed of brokenness, the seed of sin in our lives. And at the crucifixion, we saw humanity at its worst. We saw what human beings can be capable of in their cruelty and their malice. And, and we still see that sadly happening today when we look at the news. But what happens at the crucifixion and how that first prophecy of the coming of Jesus given by God himself in Genesis, that one would come to crush the serpent's head, the way that fight happened And the way that Jesus won it was that he defeats sin and Satan not through violence, but through obedience to God and through being willing to submit himself to all of the worst that humanity could dish out. And pardon me if this seems a little bit off or strange, but the uh, what it reminded me of was those of you who, who watched this series of movies in the 80s uh, might, you know, connect with me on this. But if you saw the Rocky movies back, uh, back when, uh, in the fourth one, Rocky has to fight this really big Russian, which quite uh, ironically and appropriately is named Drago, which is, uh, kind of sounds like Dragon, the Serpent. 
And Rocky even says, look, if, if I'm to beat this guy by being stronger than him, I can't do it. He knows that he's not more powerful. He, he cannot outpunch this guy. He says, I can't do that. He says, but if I can take every single thing he can dish at me and then get back up again, then I'll be able to beat him. If I can take everything that this guy can throw out at me and take every single hit he can give until he doesn't have anything else, then I'll win. And really, in a lot of ways, this is what happens at the crucifixion. Jesus takes everything that the serpent can throw at him. All of the violence, all of the malice and the hatred that he put into the hearts of God's children. Jesus takes every single bit of it. And the good news of the resurrection is he gets back up again. Christ is affirmed as the new Adam, the second Adam. Humanity as humanity was meant to be and the king of kings through his death on the cross. What's ironic is that Jesus' crucifixion was his coronation. That's where he is declared king of kings. But he is affirmed, and he always was, but he is affirmed as God in the flesh through his resurrection. To kind of help explain this, I went back to John chapter 16. Jesus gives this analogy of childbirth in relation to the new creation and the cross. He says, look, when a woman knows that it's her time and she is, she is in labor, it's not a good time. With both of our children, when Esther went into labor, well, she only labored with one of them and she labored for over 40 hours and they had to do a C-section anyway. And it was a lot of hurt and a lot of heartache and a lot of pain. But when it was done, the thing that I remember about Delia in particular is they told me, they said, okay, whenever we're ready, we need you to have your, they, they had me in scrubs and they said, we want you to have your, the, the top part of your scrubs unbuttoned because as soon as we get her out and get her into a diaper, we're sticking her down in your shirt and you're going to keep her warm and she's going to need to snuggle. And I just remember you hear this crying and then all of a sudden here comes this little bundle of something that gets shoved down in my shirt and they button it up and there's just this little ball of a hat sticking out here and just kind of squirming and grunting and crying and it was just the neatest thing ever. And then with Charlie, I can remember... Uh, they didn't do that, but very quickly they got uh, Esther stitched up and they just set Charlie down on Esther real quick and just uh, let him snuggle with her. And all of that work, all of that pain and all that hurt just seems to go away because suddenly there's this new precious little person that that you're getting to know. So Jesus uses this analogy of childbirth, la the labor of creation and on good friday i explained that good friday was the sixth day representing the fact that just as in the first six days on the sixth day god created man man was recreated in jesus on the cross and then god rested on the seventh day and before i kind of broke down at the end you might have heard me say that then comes the eighth day 
In many ways, Easter marks the beginning of something new entirely because God's creation is now done and now something truly new begins. Easter, in a way, as I said, is the eighth day, the true beginning of that new creation started in Jesus on the cross. Jesus' resurrection marks the end of the reign of sin and death and the beginning of a new order where humanity can be brought back into communion with God and be the obedient stewards and friends of God that we were always meant to be. Jesus' resurrection validates Jesus' kingship because the powers of sin and death threw their worst at Jesus. And as I gave the analogy earlier, like Rocky Balboa, he gets back up again. But he didn't just get up. He came out on the other side of death, now unable to be touched by it. His resurrection means that those who follow him will one day live in a physical reality, not that unlike what we live in now, but without death and without suffering, without the corruption. Paul tells us that Jesus is the first fruit meaning that he is the first example of what the new reality will be like. So many people think of the new creation as being wispy and floating on clouds and playing harps, and I'm really thankful that if you really read Scripture, it doesn't sound like it's like that at all. Uh, whenever Jesus is raised from the dead, he sits down and he eats with them, and he talks with them, and they touch him, and he's really there. He's not an apparition, but he's a real flesh and blood living human being. He's different in that he can go through doors and be here and there and whatnot. The rules of time and space don't really seem to apply to him much anymore. And if you ever want to have an at-length discussion with me about that, I'm interested in uh, particle physics and things like that as well. I wanted to be a nuclear physicist at one point. So we can discuss theories on that at another date, but... Jesus, although he is different now, is also not that unlike what he had been. So in the end, Easter is good news for all of the things we mentioned. No more sin, no more death. But even more than that, it opens a door for us to begin living in that new life now. Not just later. And unfortunately, so many Christians, we have this tendency to say, well, everything will be good someday. And yeah, there is going to be trouble in this life, but we can live in that resurrection good news now. Yes, we still see the shadow of death and the consequences of sin in our world, but it's just that. It's just a shadow anymore. It's not the monster with teeth that it used to be. It's more like a shadow puppet on the wall. It looks meaner than it really is. They're already beaten. Easter is our reason that we can smile in the face of all of life's hardships because they're all only temporary now because Jesus has already conquered them all. Quite simply, we can be happy because he lives.